What's good, everybody? Welcome to Young, Black, and Healthy, where we talk about health within our community. We are your hosts, Aisha Williams, Marcia Ekoramaru, and Jonathan Lynn. Young, Black, and Healthy, yeah. She has her PhD in psychology from Stephen F. Austin University, and her research experience includes uh, things like what we'll be talking about today, which include racial and ethnic microaggressions. So welcome, Dr. Gaddy. Hi, thank you all for having me. Thank you for for joining us. And uh, Marcia, what are you looking forward most to today uh, in talking with Dr. Gaddy? Um, I am looking forward to learning exactly what the technical definition for microaggression is. In my mind, I think passive aggressiveness, but that's probably completely different. Um, so I'm looking forward to learning something new today. Okay. And Aisha? For me, I'm just looking um, into what Marcia said, the technical definition of like what microaggression is, because I kind of think it's similar, and it seems kind of, um, uh, when I think of microaggressions, I think of like cattiness, like she said, like passive aggressive. However, also just taking a look at that and what that looks like for us in the black community and the impacts of that, of microaggressions, so. Yeah, well, I'm also looking forward to, like you said, the technical definition. Mm -hmm. We hear it a lot and also how to kind of address those things in the workplace, out in public, uh, because a lot of times you might not even know that it's happening to you but how you deal with that and how how you can make it um, make your workplace a more comfortable place. So again, welcome Dr. Gaddy and uh, for those uh, who don't know you, please introduce yourselves. Introduce yourself, excuse me. Hey everyone, um, I'm Dr. Deshay Gaddy. I am um, a recent um, doctorate, a doctor? Is that what you call me? Yeah, I'm a recent doctor. Mm-hmm. graduated uh, last year, August 2017. And um, I'm really passionate about mental health as it pertains to people of color, in particular, um, black people, because we have just so many different types of uh, things that we go through um, living in the United States that is, a lot of people are privy to. And I love bringing attention to that. Well, thanks again for joining us. So we'll, we'll kick it off uh, by asking you to define what the word microaggression is and what it means. And how that relates to the workplace so I can tell Jonathan to check his microaggression <laughs> when I need to. <laughs> okay. Well, microaggressions um, isn't anything new. This was a term that was actually coined by Dr. Pierce in 2005, Dr. Daryl Sue really brought microaggressions to the public vernacular, and his conceptualization of microaggressions is that they are brief and commonplace daily verbal, behavioral, or environmental 
judgmental actions, whether intentional or unintentional, so intentionality doesn't matter, that communicate hostile, negative, or even derogatory messages towards members of oppressed or targeted groups. And there are different types of microaggressions. So today we'll be talking about racial and ethnic microaggressions, but you have LGBTQA plus microaggressions, people with disabilities also experience uh, microaggressions, people of certain religious affiliations also experience microaggressions, and gender microaggressions. All right. Man, we can have episodes on each of those. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say we can have episodes on each of those uh, subjects. Okay. And what is, um, and I also wanted to touch on um, what is so insidious um, about microaggressions, because I know there are a lot of um, people try to down talk uh, this experience. It's like, oh, you're just a social justice warrior, but microaggressions in particular are insidious because. They reflect the active um, manifestation of oppressive worldviews that create, foster, and reinforce marginalization and oppression of targeted groups. Mm. So that's why it's so important to talk about them. So they help keep the oppressed group down is what you're saying, right? I'm sorry? They help, they help keep the oppressed group down. Um, yes, yes. Gotcha. Um, and it's actually under the umbrella of racism, but this is daily. These are experiences that people experience every single day in their life. Hmm. So what are some of uh, common microaggressions that uh, African-American men and women can experience on a daily basis? Okay, well, the first one that comes to mind is uh, assumption of criminality. And so that's when um, black people are assumed to be dangerous or deviant. So um, I don't know if this is your experience, Jonathan, but have you ever been somewhere, walked past a, a, a white woman, let's just say, and she clutched her purse? Mm-hmm. Or you're you're in the store, you know, we're getting our lives in Target, trying to get, well, Shane Moisture is canceled, but whatever hair product that you want to get. <laughs> and you look over and you see the Target worker just kind of pretending like they're stalking when they're actually watching you because they've already made up in their mind that you're going to steal from them. Yeah, that's... So that's one type. Um, exoticization or tokenism. So that's where um, we are considered to be exotic. And so um, in our previous conversations, we talked about hair. You know, oh, well, can I touch your hair? Oh, you know, is, is it soft? Because it looks like a Brillo pad. Like, just things like that. Or being the only black person in a group of people and you were looked to as just a representation of black people. Mm. I don't know if y'all have these
Yeah, and I can speak to the first example you gave about walking by somebody that's not colored and they like clutch their purse and I'm thinking like I got more money than you probably get. <laughs> so, so, so why are you clutching your purse? Right. Um, right. I, I worked in a very rural area um, mm-hmm. as a school psychologist mm-hmm. and um, the students' parents didn't want me to work with them because I was an N-word. Not that, you know, I had a master's degree, I was a doctoral student, but simply because of the color of my skin that they didn't think that I was competent to work with their child. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy how people's minds, like, really believe these uh, yeah. things to be true. That's, um, it's interesting. For me, I know uh, what I'm dealing with is, like, the angry black woman. <laughs> I feel like I come across, like, at work sometimes that way. But it's just, yeah. I'm not, I'm not angry at all. I'm just passionate, and I'm right. just a matter of fact. Like, when it comes to my job, there's just, like, there's no room for this cutesiness. It's like, either you're going to do it or you're not. Right. If you are, then get it done. If you're not going to do it, then I can figure it out myself. But tell right. me. But it's just, um, right. and I just feel like if I was a male or a male of color, you know, a white male, it would be perceived different. And so, it just, uh-huh. um... It's just, it's that. And I think, for me, it's kind of hard because it's like you carry on that edge of like, okay, like, I don't, it's, it's a big deal to me because it's been brought to my boss like twice. And I'm just like, uh, I'm just trying to work. All yeah. I want to do is do my job. So right. it's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. I think that, right. and we haven't yet gotten into the effects of what microaggression can do to the person experiencing it. But I feel like, Often, I'll be put in situations where I can intelligently articulate what is occurring that's not right, and I have to second-guess myself to say, no matter how I say this, there is a high likelihood I'm going to be perceived as the problem, or I'm going to be perceived as the angry black woman. It doesn't matter how you put it together, how you approach it, just you pointing out a problem makes you the problem. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I feel like, um, and you have to carry that every day you know mm-hmm. like through your work and i can only imagine or i can't imagine kind of what the uh culmination of all of those experiences are day after day after day after day so that's why you're here so you can tell us about that <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah so there are short-term effects of experience microaggressions and there are long-term effects so uh the short-term effect is the catch-22 or the damned if you do damned if you don't so a lot of the times we catch ourselves really having an internal dialogue, replaying the situation and questioning, hey, was this a microaggression or was it, or wasn't it? And so that can foster anxiety in the moment. And then there's the pressure to respond to it. So if you respond to it, you're likely to get in an argument, the person become very defensive, and then that can lead to even more microaggressions in that exchange. And then the catch-22 part, if you don't address it, then you're left feeling regretful because maybe you could use that as a teachable moment or you're left with resentment about that individual or sadness because you didn't get a chance to defend yourself, you know, in this insult that you experienced in the moment out of fear of negative repercussions. So deciding on how to respond and if it even happened, which more than likely if you're questioning it, it did happen, that's stressful in itself. And that invalidates our experiences. Hmm. So that's in the moment. Long-term impact of experiencing microaggressions, although they appear to be brief in the moment, but many studies have found that they have significant negative impacts on, well, we're talking about black.
everything that I just talked about. It's the psychological symptoms of depression, anxiety, uh, hypervigilance to threat, um, and the lack of hopefulness about the rest of your life due to repeated exposures um, to racism and discrimination. And so this is very similar to post-traumatic stress syndrome or post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and then even our physical health. Um, have you noticed that African Americans in particular are um, disproportionately represented in individuals with hypertension or high blood pressure? Yes. Heart disease, yes. chronic ache, aches and pains that do not have a physical um, meaning for their current. But when you have all of this pent up psychological and emotional tension, it has to express itself in some type of way. And so we'll find that it manifests in somatic symptoms. So pretty much racism is bad for black people's health. Absolutely. And it's funny you mentioned take home point the, it's literally bad yeah that's the take home point um it's funny you mentioned repeated exposure to um negative events i was reading an article earlier this week about how these videos of uh, black people getting shot by the police mm-hmm. or just getting killed that's, and how that's the, trauma yeah it's trauma mm-hmm. and it happens over and over and over and over and over again yes. and yes. they were talking about the the stress that's associated with that that other groups don't necessarily experience because mm-hmm. you know the people that are being oppressed don't look like them mm-hmm. so that was an interesting point that you brought up and for me with that i don't watch those videos because i i honestly think it's done intentionally um because i know that when those reporters when that um reporter that woman reporter a year ago or so was shot online they pulled those videos immediately so i just feel like it's a intentional like of desensitizing what is going on mm-hmm. because I, I like you can get those videos pulled from the internet and they could no longer be circulated but because that happens and they do that and they just say warning graphic I don't that's not appropriate that's not right yeah um, I agree so. I like when I first saw one of them I don't watch it anymore I can't I and don't I'm, I'm kind of coming to tears now because <laughs> when I saw the Michael Brown was it was it that was the one with the cigarettes right uh Eric Eric Garner was the one. Yeah, Eric Garner. So that was the first video that I saw, and it was on the news, and it said graphic. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that video, I immediately turned to tears. Every black man that I loved flashed mm-hmm. before my eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that I grew up with. That you know that's close to my heart. And like my husband couldn't even console me because I was like, I can't believe that that just happened. And I, so I can't watch him. Like it's so traumatizing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and yeah. So I agree with Aisha. I, I think that. Blocked. I, I yeah. can't deal with it the decent thing to do is get them pulled from the internet and it is traumatizing as Jonathan pointed out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, but I, I also wrestle with that because even though it's traumatizing, I also feel like it could be long term good because if people don't know that it's happening, um kinda like Emmett Till. Yeah, like Emmett Till, his mom made sure that the the um ph- photographers printed his face mm-hmm. on the on the newspaper so that people could see what happened to him yeah. um so i don't know I, what what are your thoughts on that like and again they are traumatic experiences but um people also need to know that this happened um because i'd like to hear your thoughts on that yeah for me um, I, it's a catch-22 um i really think with the advent of social media, and I know um, we always cite Mike Brown, but I really think it was Trayvon Martin back in 2013 mm-hmm. that really spearheaded this movement of, yeah. hey, let's bring 
attention to police brutality. Mm-hmm. However, I think it's, I'm speaking just from a black person's point of view. We see this all of the time and the inability to kind of like step away from it, to regroup and debrief yourself. I think that's where the, the trauma comes in because you have to react to it or you do feel the pressure to react to it in the moment. And sometimes you do need a, a bit of time to kind of really process what happens. And I know a lot, are you guys really big, like big people? Do you have lots of followers on social media? Like, do y'all feel the pressure to respond to things in the moment? Well, you know. Sometimes. Yeah, I guess sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. It, 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 it depends. depends on what it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's it like, one of them, what, what are your mm-hmm. thoughts? And it's like, sometimes you just need time to process what you just saw yourself because it's, it's traumatic to see someone lose their life yeah. in front of your eyes yeah, and seeing that repeatedly over and over and over in addition to the things that you experience because you're just you're experiencing that um, in the periphery. Right. But think about even your own experiences. Yeah. I, I feel like you need some time to process it and when you're ready, go ahead and take a look at it. But you don't you shouldn't feel pressure to look at it and respond in that moment. Because not addressing it in the moment can cause you later distress. Mm. Okay, and I know I know that you said microaggressions fall under. Um, basically, it's like a, falls under the racial umbrella. 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 Yeah. With that, what? Okay, so I think. Okay, so with that, what causes people to have microaggressions against others? Is it that racism? Because I know you said intentionality does not matter. So, yeah, it doesn't matter. So I would say um, ignorance um, is a big part of it, just um, a lack of experience with people of color um, because we know that white people, and so since that is our majority as of right now, they have a tendency to lead very segregated lives. Have y'all heard of white flight? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have not. The white flight is them. They're leaving. You know, they've left the cities in droves. That's why we have all of these suburban enclaves surrounding large metropolitan areas such as Dallas or such as Houston. You know, most of the white people live like in Spring and Cypress and Katy. They don't live. A lot of them don't live in Houston. Mm -hmm. And so um, they have these very insular lives. The the majority of their churches are white. Um, The majority of the school is white. So I attribute some of that to ignorance. It's not all of it. It's some of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also have to tackle the constant messages that we receive that whiteness is valuable and blackness is deviant. So white culture is the default social norm in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And so what? And so I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. I promise. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, European origin or white people, they don't have to examine their racial or ethnic identity critically and so that kind of leads into that white fragility is that have you noticed they're like well i'm a person i don't see myself as white i'm a person and so they don't have to conceptualize that hey you you do fall under a racial category Mm -hmm. so i attribute all of that to ignorance and being when when it comes to intentionality yes you know microaggressions can come from a racist point of view but i think Thinking about the intention really doesn't matter because it's really the message that's received. You know, as a person of color, I'm insulted. As a person of color, I'm offended. And so that comes to whether you want to address it or you don't want to respond to it. But 
Gotcha. So I have a follow-up question to that. You talked about how black people are viewed as deviants. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a lot of that comes from media as far as how we're portrayed. And so kind of in the context, you know, the movie Black Panther just came out and it's breaking tons of records. I'm so happy that it's doing so well because it had an all-black cast. Um, Can you talk about from like a, I guess a macro point of view, what can be done, and then we'll get to the kind of smaller level of what can be done, but from a macro point of view and the role of media in portraying blacks as deviants, what can be done to kind of change that narrative long-term? Okay, on a macro level, uh, research has told us that representation matters. So the more people of color, the more black people, the more Asian people, the more Latino people that we see in positions of power, and um, seen as a lead character and not a sidekick in our media, that is going to change the perception. More positive, and it's it's a burden, really, when you think about it, but the more positive representations of, you know, our group members, that will change. That's supposed to change the norm. Hmm. Um, Is it happening? It's slowly, slowly, but um, I think... You know, we just need to move forward. Black Panther has been a cultural phenomenon. So we'll have to just watch and see what happens after a movie like this has come out. But that's what the research has told us, is representation matters. And in particular, seeing people of color in positions of power is what's going to help change the status quo. Gotcha. That's good. So I'm going to uh, create my own movie coming to <laughs> you in about 2020. <laughs> I think it's interesting that you say representation matters. Have y'all noticed? Um, in I would say, I noticed it in graduate school around like 2011. There has been I don't want to call it like wokeness, but there has been a really genuine love of black people for themselves. Like I've seen a, mm-hmm. yeah. I, that I've never seen before. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like we really love ourselves now. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Even though you know you do have your you do have your success, especially in social media, mm. of people you know who are not putting out the right messages out there. But even on like my college campus, like there has been just a genuine love for themselves and self esteem that I don't think I've ever seen before with us. And I'm really hoping that this is not a trend and that it continues to be a norm for us. It will, starting with my movie in 2020. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like the fact that you said that representation matters because I know we talk about representation a lot on the podcast, but as it affects our community, the black community. However, when you look at, you said, cre- helping create that shift of people's perception, representation matters that way too, to not only to us, but to those outside because that's yeah. how they can define us. And like you were saying, because I'm, I grew up in San Diego California went to San Diego State, so I've always been the speck of pepper and the sea of salt. So you're always going to be that one person who is looked at as a representative for Uh the entire community. Mm -hmm. And so that representation, I think, is a great way to to help. And just repeated exposures. Mm -hmm. Exposures to different cultures. That's what we see in positive, and I want to emphasize positive experiences. Indeed. So that was kind of a macro look at how to deal with things. Um, how do we deal with these microaggressions on a day-to-day basis? So if I'm at work or if a 
friend of mine because I think I've heard many stories of black women and people ask if they can touch their hair. I'm like, that's so no, weird. I, that happened to me. And it it's like they're me, afraid. Yeah. She's like, okay. Can I just touch oh, your hair? Yeah. Nice hair. Oh, you got nice new, new hair. Oh, yeah. Like, no, I don't know where your hands been, all that stuff. So how do we deal with that on a day-to-day basis so that we don't end up depressing? I mean, hypertension, like you mentioned earlier, is a huge problem. But um, how do we deal with that on a day-to-day basis? So my recommendation is in that moment, if you're triggered, you really need to take the time to calm down. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a big proponent of mindfulness, whether that's deep breathing, counting, uh, that's going to help you regulate uh, your emotions in that moment so that you don't come off. I mean, like I said, this is a burden, but you have to watch how you react to certain things because then people will run with that. So mm-hmm. take the time to calm down. Okay. The second point, this may be a little controversial, but give the benefit of the doubt. Ask for clarification. So if someone says, oh, Jonathan, you are just so articulate, and if you feel slighted by that, you just say, well, what do you mean by that, Brenda? And so usually (laughs) they'll catch it themselves. Mm. They're like, okay, well, maybe that wasn't the right thing to say, and so then they'll probably try to fix it in that moment. Um, The next thing that I would suggest is Let's say a microaggressive exchange happened around a group of people. Um, It'll be easier for you if you can seek out someone who may verify and validate that microaggression. Um, I find that it's it's very comforting to talk to someone. Um, I work, I have a a particular girl at, uh, not girl, woman (laughs) at work that we kind of, that's how we ease our tension is. I'm like, hey, did you see that happen? What did you think about that? And usually she'll validate and verify hey, that really was a microaggression. And then also that I would recommend is if no one else is around, let's say you can't reach out to anybody, um, it's helpful to just seek support from loved ones. So, for instance, we find that social media has really been a great um, place to kind of air your grievances and receive support. So um, I see a lot of people, they update their, their Facebook status. Um, talking about the microaggression that happened to them. And sometimes just having people kind of talk to you in the comments will help assuage some of that, um, you know, some of that residual resentment that's been built up as a result of experiencing that. So on a micro level, those are the, those are the things that I would recommend. Okay. Well, thank you. And tell us some of the things that you have going on outside of your work. Um, You know what? Um, I am really trying to uh, find my identity outside of being a student. So that's what I'm doing. Um, I went straight through school. So I graduated in 2007, went straight into um, undergrad. From undergrad, I went straight into my doctoral program. So from 2007 to 2017, I was in college. (laughs) That's a long time. So I'm trying to find my identity outside of that. So I started gardening. Two whole strawberries. Hey. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> um, so I'm doing gardening. I love hair. Um, I'm a naturalista myself, almost 10 years now, and so I really just like to find fun ways uh, to style my hair. I don't know how to do anybody else's hair. So <laughs> that's really a place of uh, where I kind of relax. And I love YouTube. So um, I make some videos with my husband. Nice. So those are the things that I do outside. Oh, okay, yeah. Tell us more about that. Yeah, I'll show you YouTube channel so we can check you out. 
my YouTube channel is hashtag Boche and Bo is spelled B-E-A-U-S-H-A-E. And so we haven't put up videos in like three months, but we plan on doing it. And so, oh, I also cosplay with my husband. So have y'all heard of cosplay? Uh-uh, what's that? Uh, cosplay is like when you dress up as characters and you go to conventions and walk around in your costume. Oh, <laughs> wow. You mean like, like Comic-Con or something like that? You mean like Comic Con? Uh... Yeah, Comic Con, and really, I, my I got into it because of my husband. So I plan on cosplaying as Misty Knight. Did you guys watch? Luke yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Yo. Jonathan is still dead. She, she was my favorite character. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, this is so dope. Yeah. yeah so she, she uh, my was. husband is in the process. Of, you know, she lost her arm, so she's yeah. gonna have a cool. I don't want to spoil it for you guys, but she's gonna have something cool. And so my husband is in the process of making that for me. And uh-huh. I also cosplay as um, Amethyst from Steven Universe. Uh-huh. And it's like a cartoon yeah. on Cartoon Network. That's awesome. <laughs> dope, dope, dope. Well, I do know what happened to Misty's arm. And I know what she's getting. And I know oh, what she's okay. getting from Yeah, I just don't want to spoil it. Nah, but, it's cool. Um, Season two coming out, uh, I think in August. FYI. All those Luke Cage fans out there. <laughs> it was, I was so impressed. It was so black. Like, I can't even <laughs> <laughs> Sweet Christmas. <laughs> but anyway, well, thank you for joining okay. us. No, thank you for joining us. And um, I know everybody got something from this. Yes, we Definitely, did. we did, yeah. We did. Thank you for your time. I appreciate that. Oh, thank you for having well, me. We, I, I really enjoyed it. discussing this with you guys. Indeed. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Okay, guys, that was a wonderful session with Dr. Getty. I mean, I learned a ton of things. Um, Now I know what microaggression is, a technical term for it. I'm not going to repeat it because I can't say it better than Dr. Getty can. Um, But what I really enjoyed about this episode or what I will take away from it is um, the situations in where Maybe you feel uncomfortable, how Dr. Gaddy explained it. It's like, if you feel it, it probably is true. And so if you're in that situation and you're kind of wondering, is this microaggression? Um, And then it probably is. And then at that point, you can stand up for yourself or you can address it in the moment. And so you don't have this post-psychological trauma of, well, maybe I should have stood up for myself. Or now I feel sad because, um, you know, I didn't say what I thought was right. Uh, and so I'll take that away from this episode. What about you, Aisha? Um, for me, I really liked when she spoke, um, when she defined uh, microaggressions and she said intentionality doesn't matter. Um, because sometimes when you're in that situation, uh, you just kind of just rethink and be like, oh, did, did this really happen? But you have to you have to know and be confident that, okay, just because they didn't know and they were ignorant to what they were what happened it doesn't mean that it didn't happen so like you said if you felt that way it probably happened and also just ways that we can combat uh, microaggressions and people and how they feel is just that repeated positive exposure um um, jonathan mentioned black panther we discussed that i think that's important because we talk about it a lot as relates to the african-american community and representation mattering however um on a broader spectrum it matters for other people to see us in that positive light as well. So, 
those were my takeaways. Yeah, it was great conversation. Uh, a couple of things. One was one thing she mentioned, Dr. Gaddy, was that when somebody says something like, "Oh, you sound articulate." you have to clarify and ask them for clarification on what they meant so that they can express what they actually meant and not let it pass up. Um, another thing, and it's kind of brings back a story a couple of years ago in Houston, I, w- I went to a store and I got a, a dress shirt and I wanted to take one of the dress shirt uh, hangers home, you know, the nice ones, the, the plastic ones. Um, and so I asked the, the cashier, I was like, hey, can I get one? And he was like, you have to take a black one because the white ones are more valuable. And so when he said it, I was kind of like, hmm, what? should I feel <laughs> some type of way about this? And I didn't ask for clarification, obviously. Um, but things like that. And I know that's like one example of things that we go through on a day-to-day right. basis. But kind of checking those things because if we let it persist and keep going, then these attitudes will never change. And then the the other part which I used to talk about was um, representation that really really matters. So again, I'm doing my movie in 2020. <laughs> uh, y'all watch out for it. It's gonna be great, positive, awesome, non Tyler Perry ish. Oh Lord, thank you. <laughs> I hope you don't hear that, but oh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was it was a great conversation. So I appreciate it, Marcia. What about you? Uh, like I said, I think that addressing it in the moment is. Um, what I'll take away from this and I too have plenty of stories that I probably could have uh, addressed in the moment and and I'll just say one and it still bothers me to this day and it happened a really long time ago probably years ago I'm in the nail salon getting a manicure and you know I'm talking to the manicurist and he's saying you know what do you do what do you study and I said I'm a biochemist I study biochemistry he said no I don't believe you and I said Hmm. no I am I'm a biochemist like that's what I do and he goes no and he started quizzing me on like well, you know, what is what is this and what is that? And I would answer him and he go and he would say, Yeah, that's right, but I don't believe you. And I never really said, well, why don't you believe me? <laughs> like it never was like, Okay, well what is it about me that you don't think mm. that I'm a biochemist? Like I studied biochemistry. And so I think and the fact that it still follows me, right? right? And yeah. I still think about it sometimes, I think that addressing it in that moment would have would have given me mm. a lot of mental relief. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you, should, no. you should go find him. Exactly. And be like, what did you mean by that? And like, why are you... No. So, uh, Dr. Gaddy has set us up for success going yes. forward. She has. Indeed. She's awesome. Well, thank you guys for joining. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And we will talk to you later. Bye, y'all. Deuces. Peace out. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Click the link in our info box to get more information about our guests. If you liked what you heard, please review us on iTunes and SoundCloud. If you have any questions about today's episode or just questions in general, please email us at youngblackhealthy at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Young Black and Healthy. Young Black and Healthy is written and produced by Aisha Williams, Marcia Ekoramadu, and Jonathan Leonard. Health is wealth.